This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We're back after a nice weekend, and we're immediately bombarded with news. We're going to get to all the all the political news and stuff coming out of Washington, but first, the big media news. What everybody's talking about right now, Sam. Jeffrey Tubin's tube. <laughs> New Yorker columnist, CNN uh, contributor. You see him on CNN all the time. Uh, you're not going to be seeing him for a bit. He's taken a leave of absence. He's been suspended from the New Yorker for apparently whipping his dick out during a work Zoom call. Tubin get, has getting his tube in. Yeah. Tubin has apologized to his co-workers and his family, uh, claiming it was an accident. He didn't realize his video was still on. So it wasn't an accident, is what it <laughs> sounds like. I mean, it was an accident that his video was on. Yeah. But it, he was totally fondling himself. That was not an accident. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, I was just scratching and my ball popped out. Because yeah. if it were, if it was, we would have never heard about it. Everyone would have accepted that apology and been like, "It's okay, Jeffrey. You know these things happen." Yeah, he yeah, was I mean, clearly he was molding his clay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look on the reporting so far. There's still some lingering questions, but but you would think that if this was, uh, Tubin was just simply readjusting himself and. Uh, his pants line dipped below his junk for a brief second and he showed it to everybody, then maybe his coworkers would be a little bit more understanding about it. And you might not have heard about this, but um, certainly seems like uh, it was a little bit more than that to lead to a, a suspension. Um, and I, I get it that, you know, everybody's forced to work at home, which leads to all sorts of collisions between like, your personal space and habits and your work life and habits, but hard to, hard to, uh, hard to justify just whipping your dick out during a work zoom call, whether or not you think you're on camera or your mic is muted or not, uh, hard to envision a scenario in which that is anywhere close to mildly appropriate. It just makes me wonder how many times he's done that on the phone with colleagues without them knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I doubt we're going to get more to this story than we've already gotten. <laughs> and, and that's okay with me at this point. Um, I, I guess I am curious to uh, know more about the reaction of other participants in the zoom call to this happening. Oh yeah. I, I really want to hear the audio. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look, Zoom calls can be boring. I have like eaten sunflower seeds on Zoom calls, but yeah, come on. Like, I, it's yeah, I've, I've, I've flipped on the soccer game, I've checked scores. We had a, stuff, we had a Supreme internet. Court justice, a Supreme Court justice flush a toilet <laughs> during a Zoom call. <laughs> Yeah, which you know, while maybe, the court was in Tubin, session, maybe Tubin was getting ready to go to the bathroom or something. No, I, you know, I really don't know. 
No, he wasn't. <laughs> he was not get. He, I have to. F- my doctor says I need to fondle my balls for five minutes before going pee <laughs> to, to loosen up the pee, which is stored in the balls. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Okay. I think we can move on. It's Monday, October 19th, 2020. Here's the news. U.S. imperialism was dealt a blow yesterday with exit polls showing voters in Bolivia giving a clear mandate to the Movement Towards Socialism Party, or MAS, as it's known by its Spanish acronym. MAS presidential candidate Luis Arce received over 50% of the first-round vote preliminary results show. That means Arce and MAS went outright, avoiding a runoff election. His closest rival, former President Carlos Mesa, is down more than 20 points in exit polls. Mesa has already conceded defeat. So has an opponent of the left, self-declared interim president, Janine Añez. The level of support for Moss is so obvious that security forces appear hesitant to do what they did after presidential elections last year. They overturned a first-round win for the socialists, forcing then-president Evo Morales to flee the country. The move came after the Organization of American States claimed that there were irregularities with the vote count, Allegations later proven totally unfounded. Working-class Morales strongholds were simply among the later constituencies to count votes. The OAS appeared intent on doing what it was founded to do, oppose socialism in the Western Hemisphere at at the behest of the U.S. government. The Añez government was reluctant to even let Sunday's vote take place at all, but its hand was forced by the broad support for mass and mass movements. Mass mass movements. Try saying that a few times fast. Presidential elections had originally been scheduled first for May. That is the uh, first presidential election after the ouster of Evo Morales. But these snap elections were postponed twice. And in August, 150,000 protesters took to the streets of La Paz, according to the Washington Post, in a show of force calling for the vote to take place and for Añez to resign. The ouster of Morales and the Añez government was backed by the State Department. As the Post noted, this happened with the Añez government prosecuting left-wing critics, including journalists and MAS supporters. 36 demonstrators and innocent bystanders were also killed by Bolivian security forces in the first few months under Añez, as Jacobin noted in May. Despite this, the State Department said Monday that it would work with whoever won Sunday's vote. Before running for president, we'll see about that, by the way. But uh, (laughs) Suspiciously quiet so far, the U.S. State Department. Yeah. Before running for president, Arce served as finance minister under Morales, whose administration oversaw a sharp reduction in poverty for the poorest Bolivians, financing social spending by nationalizing key natural resource-based industries. Am I the only one who's had the thought about eating Taco Bell tonight in celebration? You want to you wanna live mass? Exactly. <laughs> Can't be the only one who's had that thought. Of course not. Uh, I have also had that thought, even though I'm, I'm, Lord knows what sort of awful fucking, you know, paramilitary forces are indirectly related to Taco Bell and their Oh, definitely. <laughs> various agricultural practices. Um, 
but yeah, the uh, the live moss, you, it's uh, burrowed in my head. Yep. The COVID nineteen death toll in the U.S. has now topped two hundred and twenty thousand people. Over eight point two million cases reported, and over the weekend, the number of new cases each day reached seventy thousand for the first time since July. That was its previous peak. 43 states now, plus Guam and Washington, D.C., are reporting rising case counts. Deaths are increasing in 21 states. And as the pandemic spirals out of control, the Government Accountability Office announced it would begin a probe into how the Trump administration leaned on public health agencies to distort the reality of the virus. The probe was requested by Senate Democrats. The watchdog announced on Monday that it would look into efforts to interfere with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's weekly morbidity reports on the virus, the allegation being that the Trump administration suppressed actual numbers in order to downplay the severity of the pandemic. The CDC will also be looked into for improperly relaxing its safety guidelines around reopening schools. Also, an episode in which the Secretary of Health and Human Services overruled the FDA on coronavirus testing standards. GAO said its investigation would begin in three months. Meanwhile, Comrade COVID dropped the ball when it came to crippling the U.S. war machine. The Pentagon said on Monday that the nation's top military brass is now out of quarantine. The chair and the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as well as other military branch leaders, were forced into isolation following contact with a Coast Guard official who tested positive at the beginning of the month. An Obama-era rule aimed at boosting home care worker pay has not done much to increase earnings, according to a government review released today. The regulation was finalized in 2015 and sought to expand minimum wage and overtime protections to home care workers. The Government Accountability Office said, however, that after its implementation, home care worker earnings didn't go up substantially more than those of workers in similar industries. GAO did find that overtime hours were reduced because of the policy. 10% of home care workers said they worked overtime in 2019, the same amount as in 2010. The average overtime they worked, however, was down from 20 hours to 17 hours. That means more leisure without less pay for many of the hardest working home care workers. The study also said that even though some states had to dial back worker hours because of the rule, that the average hours worked by home care workers actually went up between 2010 and 2019 to 34 per week from 33 per week. Home care workers were also more likely to become full-time employees after the 2015 rule change. The percentage of workers with full-time status was up 11% from 2010. GAO noted that with the U.S. having an aging population, growth in home care work is expected to rise by 40% in the next decade alone. Finally, the Senate Judiciary Committee is set to take a vote on the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court this week. And the High Court on Monday added a major case that if confirmed, Barrett would have a chance to uphold one of the more inhumane tenets of the Trump administration's anti-immigration regime. Supreme Court said it will examine the White House's Remain in Mexico policy that requires asylum seekers to the U.S. to wait in Mexico while their cases are being adjudicated. This applies not only to Mexicans attempting to enter the U.S., but also individuals seeking asylum from other countries as well. 
program was implemented by the Trump administration in January of 2019. Since then, there have been documented kidnappings, rapes, and assaults against asylum seekers as a result. U.S. immigration authorities have sent as many as 60,000 people to Mexico, including hundreds of children, forcing them into makeshift camps without proper food and clean water. Some seekers have been forced to find residence in dangerous cities, including places that the U.S. State Department warns Americans about traveling to. If it weren't for the Supreme Court, this cruel policy would have already been rescinded. A federal court ruled in April of last year that it violated the Immigration and Nationality Act. It also breached treaties that prohibit asylum seekers from being sent back to the dangerous countries that they were fleeing from. The ruling was then upheld by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in March of this year. However, that same month, the Supreme Court entered the fray and granted relief to the Trump administration by lifting the injunction and allowing the policy to continue while the matter continues through the legal system. On Monday, the Supreme Court said it would officially add the case to its docket for its 2021 term. And that music means it's time to read some poetry for our new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. All new $5 subscribers get access to all the bonus content. And they get a free month at Means TV and they get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This one goes out to Hoel. Nothing more stupid than when my top football club takes a short corner. Thank you, Hoel. And yes. yeah, that is really fucking stupid. Yeah. Drives me bonkers. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. Thanks, Hoel, and thanks to all the new subscribers. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. I think the rationale is that managers are afraid uh, if they whip it into the box, uh, no, no Jeffrey Tubin related pun there, but if they whip it into the box that uh, it could be headed out and cleared for a quick counter, and so you may as well just try to keep a little more possession. But I don't know, man. That That's like a... It's a total loser mindset, I think. Definitely. And I've seen uh, short corners uh, returned for fast breaks as well, yeah. just as often. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, before we uh, end the podcast for today, there is a call on the listener, listener rant line to get to. Let's uh, let's hear it. Hey, guys. This is uh, this is John in Nashville. And um, I guess, I, I don't know, rant might be too strong a word. I, I just have a small complaint. You know, I uh, <clears throat> I work all afternoon and into the evening, and uh, and I come home and I gotta I gotta listen to the Sams and uh, hear about the world and and you guys, you know, it's been a long time since you called Washington D.C. piss town, and uh, I feel like something's missing in my life. Like, you know, 2020 has been hard enough, and and after a hard day of work, and I come home and I. I just want that little endorphin kick, man. Just just that little kick, just that little taste, just to help me through this difficult year. So, uh, you know, just I can't be the only one. So please, you know, have mercy on a hardworking guy like me and just, you know, just call it piss town. I miss it so much. Thanks. <laughs> well, John, uh, thank you for that call. Um 
look, I, this is my fault. Um, I have, uh, I have honestly stopped calling it piss town because I started sensing a bit of, um, maybe it was, maybe it was imagined on my part, but a bit of a backlash to it because although Sam and I have explained what we mean by piss town, I think there's certain people who live in Washington, DC who aren't, uh, pisshead denizens, you know, aren't representative of the piss town label because this is, um, an exceptionally, uh, um, diverse and, you know, good city for the most part, except for, um, the, the institutional parts of the U S government and the creatures that fill it. Um, that, that when we say piss town, we're, we're shitting on, you know, a bunch of hardworking people that live in Washington, DC. So, Given that, I have sort of stopped calling it Piss Town, but had I known that there are people out there who rely or who at least take pleasure in hearing it each day, um, I'd be a little bit more cognizant of that and keep calling it Piss Town. I don't know, Sam. What do you think? Should we should should I not be afraid of the haters and just keep saying Piss Town? I think that um I think that we should not overuse it. And that I think, uh, yeah, we should be sensitive to the fact that uh, Washington D.C. is a is a real city with real people, and uh, you know, many of them just trying to work to make ends meet, et cetera, et cetera. But also, uh, piss town is funny, so I don't know. Maybe we should say it once a week or something. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, right. I never, I never intended to stop saying it. I just. Yeah, we know. didn't discuss I, uh, this. I didn't I didn't bring this up with you or anything. I just just kind of stopped saying it at the beginning yeah. of each podcast and um didn't really think anybody would care or notice, but uh all all we needed was a little bit more encouragement to start saying it again. <laughs> now I think we've got it. So uh We yeah, we definitely do. Um I think it was yeah, I don't know. I I uh I could probably talk about this for 10 more minutes. So maybe we should just uh that's probably unnecessary yeah probably probably definitely unnecessary but, we'll, we'll, we'll just try to say piss down a little more but if any listeners have more thoughts on it feel free to call the rant line 202-684-6108 that's it for the show today we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new newscast we're here in dc so you don't have to be <laughs>